1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
2: Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Right. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. forever Angeles 102.3 FM Riverside
0: and 105.0 AM Palm
3: Springs Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. It's Tuesday, so it is time for Mr. Michael Hawley.
1: That is correct. I'm the Tuesday guy. Hi, Al.
3: <laughs> yeah, Tuesday guy. So you've been out doing your promo for your new book, uh, yes. Jack, Jack the Stripper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. So yeah, Jack the Ripper, and then uh, so it was nice being on House of Mystery last week, and you know what's going to be tonight, and then uh, so I've been uh, doing a couple other podcasts as well. So it's pretty neat.
3: Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. It's about time people found out who Jack the Ripper really was. and Then they That's can right. read your book too. <laughs>
1: That's right. There you go.
3: <laughs> well, today we are going to be uh, talking to an author first time on the show, and um, I see she's got a new book. It's called At the Ready global security unlimited three so sharon michael thank you for being here
4: thank you for having me nice meeting you nice meeting you too
3: well sharon how did you get mixed up in this awful writing world
4: (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i started I, i i've been reading on my own since i was four um i started reading mysteries when i was eight and uh And and I'm not talking Nancy Drew, I'm talking Agatha Christie. Yeah, I always wanted to be a writer, and I can't tell you the first thing I wrote because I have no idea. But um, in high school, I decided what I really wanted was to be a poet. So I started writing poetry and sending out poetry for publication. But I wasn't like people now who, you know, they look for little little Internet magazines and stuff like that. No, I sent my stuff to The New Yorker.
2: (laughs) <laughs> the
4: three magazine places like that, and uh I did get a couple of nice rejections. I had lots and lots and lots of rejections, and then my mom had a cousin who worked for Random House. So I sent him, I collected all my poems into a book and sent it to him and said, "Would you publish this? <laughs> he, had, he was very tactful as he said no. <laughs> oh, he did say no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he told me that you really kind of had to be a published poet and you had to have a reputation before any publishing company was going to be willing to, to right. take a chance on a book like that. And I was 15. so <laughs> 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 then, then, uh, then I stopped writing poetry. Um, And I I went to college and I ended up going into history. And uh, so I I was published in history for uh, a while before I went back to trying to write a novel. But I had tried to write a novel in my 20s and in my 30s and in my 40s. And I could get about two chapters in and then I didn't know where to go. (laughs) And you would think somebody who read books all the time wouldn't have that problem. Um, but I was trying to write mysteries and it didn't work. And, um, my husband died in 2013 and, um, in 2017, I moved up to Chicago from Champaign, Illinois, which is in the central, he's central part of the state. I was trying to figure out how to make this new life in this new place. I mean, my brother lives up here, but that's not quite what I was thinking. I mean, I, I, I wasn't going to make my new life around my family. I start, I joined a group called Just Write Chicago. And so I would go and I would write with these people several times a week at coffee shops. And I realized that I needed a little help in actually structuring a novel. So I started taking classes with a group called The Guppies, which are a chapter of Sisters in Crime. And learned things about like creating scenes and um, all that kind of stuff. I've taken a lot of classes. And I wrote my first book. I started it in July of 2018 and I finished my first draft in, uh, on New Year's Eve, uh, 2018. And I thought that it was pretty good. Three and a half years later, I finally had a book worth publishing. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got into it. And because it's romantic suspense, which means that, um, and I broke some rules. Right. One of the rules I broke was that, um, If you want to be published by a mainstream publisher and you write anything that has romance in the title, I mean, if it's that genre, even if it's romantic suspense, your characters need to be in their 20s or early 30s. They won't touch it otherwise. Yeah, wow. My book has characters in their 40s. Oh. And if you ask me why, I can't write people in my 20s. I published my first book on my birthday two years ago. At the age of seventy. Wow.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: so, so I kind of moved beyond that, and I, and you know, much as I, I like younger people, I think there's a callowness that you grow out of as you get older, and you get more experience, and I like the depth of character that you get in older characters. Right. So, um, so I ended up publishing it myself after the, um, Illinois State Library Association, um awarded me semi-final for it in their soon-to-be-famous Illinois writer competition. Oh, nice. I decided that that was enough of a,
0: of a um, kind of... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
4: go-ahead that I that I went ahead and, and published the book and decided to pick a cover that also was not typical for romantic suspense, even though the first thing they tell you about covers is look at the top 100 bestsellers in your genre. And I can tell you that those are mostly pictures of guys with uh, no shirt, Six-packs, frequently shaved heads, beards, and uh, tattoos.
1: Right, yeah. Michael does the posing of
4: those.
3: (laughs) Yeah,
1: you know, but that's where I make my side.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I I, um, picked a cover that's got a guy who's um, looking down, it's called at first sight, um, at a woman who's sitting on a bench looking out, out at a lake. It takes place in Chicago, so you would assume that it's Lake Michigan. And he's wearing a suit, and it's because he's a forty-year-old ex MI6 agent. He's kind of not going to look like a Navy SEAL, right? So anyway, I, I've just kind of continued along that path, and all three of those books are are uh, are indie published. It's
3: always an interesting history. Everyone's slightly different, and uh, you know, much the same complications and and desires, but doesn't always you don't get there the same way uh, you know you look far younger than than in your 70s i mean i would have thought you know you're <laughs> oh thank you m- um, much younger
4: last uh last fall i was having trouble with my radiator i live in a 1917 building and we have radiators and um our our um, housing association uh treasurer came over and uh he was working on it with me and he said he looks at me, and goes, we must be about the same age. I said, well, how old are you, Eric? He said, 55. I said, I'm 71. <laughs> and he said, really? I thought you were 53.
1: <laughs> that he was older than you. That's what he thought.
4: Yeah, he thought he was older than me. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, everything's changed. I, I remember, you know, my grandparents being in their 40s and 50s and looking ancient to me.
1: <laughs> kind of like yeah. Michael now. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, you and I, we're both 61. I'm 61, I'm sorry. Not 61, yeah. I feel 61 now. <laughs> oh,
4: there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, that's right.
3: yeah. He's usually the oldest one in the room, so that's why I'm... I'm Thank so, you, Sharon.
1: You saved me. <laughs> you
3: saved
4: yeah, frequently now I'm the oldest one in the room. I do have friends that are, you know... 78,
3: 80. Ah, yes. See, but you, you should have just said you're 51, and then we would have believed it. <laughs> we and, would have believed
1: it, really. Yeah. Your photos really does show nice.
4: Well, on the phone, people tell me that my voice sounds very young, but it I, I can't tell because it doesn't sound to me like it does to other people. You
3: know, but it, was there a certain thing that um, happened? This is always uh, one I always like to ask, because, so so here you are, you, you've been reading and you've been writing sort of your whole life, but what was it that actually happened that made you decide? Well, I'm going to actually publish this. I'm going to put this out, and everybody and their dog can go out and buy it now on Amazon or whatever and read it. Like, what, what, what was it that pushed you over the edge, so to speak?
4: So it's the it's the it's the feeling of being left out. I I had met lots of authors, and I wanted to be them. So, um, you know, you want to be able to say you have written and you want to be able to show that you have written. And the only way to do that is to actually publish. So nervous as it made me, um, I always aimed at publishing.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, that you have a Ph.D. historian and a lot of people, you know, that's kind of a a, um, a, what an accomplishment. And you're still striving to uh, do this. That's really pretty impressive.
4: Well, it's funny because um, the reason I finally finished my Ph.D., because I wanted to do it earlier and um, never worked out for me, was that I lived in a place where having a Ph.D. was the norm. In most places it's not, but when you live in an academic community, it's the norm. <laughs> and uh-huh. my department was faculty members, me, I was an academic professional, and the staff were civil service so um, I wanted to be like everybody else and my husband had a doctorate all my friends had doctors so that's kind of what you do so at, at 40 I started thinking about it again I wanted to change jobs I wanted to do some different things and um, and people kept saying to me well why aren't you doing it and I said because I'll be 50 by the time I'm done they said well you'll be 50 whether you do it or not so you guys as well be 50 and have your doctor that's
2: a good point <laughs> so, <laughs>
4: I finished at 45, so it wasn't quite that. But, uh, but, but yeah. And then, and then of course that everybody said, so now you're going to go out and look for faculty positions somewhere. And I said, a, a a beginning assistant professor makes less than I do as an academic advisor. I'm not going anywhere.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, I think there's a reason you get a, a doctorate other than just, you know, um, other than a, a job necessarily in it or something like that but that's that's interesting so now why why romance thrillers like you you spend a lot of time in history and studying history and and learning more non fiction let's say kind of categories but yet you're writing in in kind of this uh romance thriller Genre so what, what why why that
4: okay, so I tried writing historical novels um i mean i'm I'm published as a historian, uh, mostly articles, but published, and um I didn't want to keep doing that um i wasn't i wasn't staying i retired at fifty five and I wasn't going to keep doing academic stuff really so um so I tried writing historical novels, and one of the problems for me with historical novels was that. The history has to be accurate. So, you know, I would have been working on something for 20 years and not getting it finished because I would be constantly looking stuff up, worrying about stuff, trying to make, um, you, you have to have some characters in your historical, romance, your historical novel that are real people. You have to make sure you have them where they were supposed to be, where they were, um, all that kind of thing. And I just decided it was overwhelming. And I'd always wanted to write mysteries, so I thought, well, okay, so I'll, I have this I don't really have an idea of what I want to write, but I have these two characters that I want to write about so um so I decided I would try writing a mystery with these two characters, and I couldn't make it work yet again. So then I thought, well, you know now I, since my husband died, I've been wanting to read something light, so I've been reading all this romantic comedy. I'll write a romantic comedy. didn't have enough plot for me, so that didn't work. But when I put the romance with the suspense, that worked. Don't ask me why. Um, if you read my book and you read my first draft of that book, they're <laughs> they're like totally different <laughs> stories. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I had to I had to pull out a whole subplot, then I had to make it fit back together. Then I had to do other stuff. So it was about and I was writing in third person, and um, I let it sit for quite a while because I got kind of depressed by rejections I was getting. Yeah. Uh, and then um, in October of 2020, I, and, and I couldn't figure out how to write at home because I'd always written in coffee shops since I'd gone back to writing in October of 2020. I thought, you know, I'm going to give it one more try and see if I can make this thing work. It's not like I don't have a draft. And, um, and I set things up to write at home because of course we weren't going out and writing during the height of the COVID uh um, epidemic. And um, and I got that to work when I could keep my cats off my keyboard. Yeah. And um, and I thought, you know, I'm going to write once, I'm going to rewrite my first scene in first pre- person, present tense and see what happens. Because I didn't think I could write that way. And then I sent it to two friends of mine who had read the whole book before. And they both said, well, you know, I like the book the way it was, but boy, this is so much better. <laughs> so I rewrote the entire thing in first person, present tense. And that turned out to be the best voice for me. Uh, I wouldn't have expected it because everybody tells you don't do that especially when you're a young you're a new writer because you you know it's really hard to handle and all this kind of thing but um it helps the dialogue is one of the strongest things i write.
3: Hmm. Ah, and your characters. Now i noticed in this at the ready book uh mm-hmm. you've got a hunky french canadian security executive so that's obviously you took that character from me and and uh, it, where where do
4: you and you're french canadian well,
3: yeah, well, actually yeah so now, where do you get your characters from like what where do they are the actual people or subjects or do they or do you create them in your own imagination and what kind of relationship do you end up having with these characters
4: so some of both. Um, I have to say that, that, that um, Chris Taylor in the first two books bears an unfortunate resemblance to me um, in, in a lot of ways. She's clumsy, so am I, things like that. Insecure, has a doctorate <laughs> in history. Max, who's the, the hero in the first two books, the MI6 agent, I was very lonely after my husband died because I'd never lived alone in my whole life. And um, so I kind of created him as my book boyfriend. And so he's got all the t- traits that I that I like in 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 a man, and I'd always been fascinated with spies even before I met my husband, um, who I should tell you was a composer, not not a spy. <laughs> and it just kind of came from there. And uh, and with JL, I just decided that I wanted something different, and I didn't know I'd be writing an entire book about him, so I made him French Canadian. And I made him live in, be from Vancouver. And then of course I get, I get early readers, um, before the book was out saying, but he's French Canadian. Why is he, co- is he from Vancouver? I said, there's French Canadians in Vancouver. <laughs> and well, you know, too typical if he came from Montreal. So, um, so they tend to be a composite of a bunch of different things. Um, my villains are people that I probably have never met in my life. So uh, they just kind of come out as I as I write, um, but I do get quite fond of them. In my mystery novel Dead in the Alley, I I decided that my policeman was going to be a former bike racer because I'm interested in bike racing.
3: Now, do you do you hear hear them these characters? Like, how do you write the dialogue? Is it like, uh, is it like watching a movie, or do you actually uh, hear the characters? Do they actually kind of run with it, and you watch them, or are you complete completely in control?
4: I'm completely in, well, I shouldn't say I'm completely in control. I start writing the dialogue. I'm not hearing anything. But the words just seem to come, you know, seem to just flow from my fingers. And I don't know why. I, I, I have no idea why. When I first started writing the first book and, and I had people reading it and they're going, you know, I laughed out loud. And I'm like, but I'm not funny. <laughs> <laughs> my husband always told me I had no sense of humor. <laughs> so, yeah, but it turns out I'm very good at writing banter. And maybe it's from watching 1930s movies all the time when I was a kid.
3: Oh, well, you just never know where it comes from. So when you write these stories and you're, when you sit down to do a book, you know, there's entertainment value to it. But is there also a meaning or some sort of subtext that you have to, a, to each one of your books?
4: I Well, I think that a lot of it has to do with figuring out how to make relationships work. Um, and and how people negotiate that. I think that's one of the things that I'm really interested in. And I'm also interested in family dynamics. And that's kind of a weird thing, because when you read my books, either the families are great or they're horrible, and my family falls in the middle. When I wrote the first book, Chris Taylor's family is the worst thing you can imagine. Uh, her father's kind of blackmailing her among other things and um uh, and i thought god i hope nobody thinks this is my family <laughs> <laughs> but
3: that must be kind of hard in a sense because when you're writing things that are personal in you know, even if they're just feelings or their mm-hmm. emotions or things you think or believe or been part of your own life or relationships and you're putting them down on paper and Putting it out for other people to read, and nowadays with social media, it's like crazy. Anybody and their dog can say something really mean or or something bad about what you've written. Does that sort of does that sort of make you pause when you write, or do you get concerned about that?
4: So far, nobody has done any personal attacks. I think maybe because I just don't have enough readers. Well, we'll fix that. Okay. <laughs> there you well, go. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I would appreciate. I was very excited today because, uh, I sold, uh, I I sold one copy of each of the the three books in the, in the series and I'm thinking, oh, somebody liked the series enough that they want the whole thing. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I'm not an overly emotional person and one of my big problems when I first started writing was not putting enough emotion into my books and having people say, like, like in this book, there's, um, the, the, the main villain, um, comes by uh, Mickey's house, her parents' house, and he throws a a grenade in the window (laughs) and sets sets the house on fire, essentially. And at the end of the scene, so I I gave it to my early reader. I have a friend who's my early reader, and she writes mysteries. And she said, I had a problem with that scene. And I said, why? Did it not seem realistic? She said, well, the fact that nobody seems upset at the end of it, it was, wasn't very realistic. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I suppose there would be tears and there would be all kinds of things. Unless it <laughs>
3: happens every day.
4: <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, that's a lot. Um, so I usually have to go back and put that kind of stuff in. So I'm really good at the dialogue. I'm really bad at the emotion. Even <laughs> so I, I don't really worry about that because, you know, if I was younger – and people started saying mean things. I would probably get really upset. But now it's like, who is this person? Um, they're obviously not my reader. Um, I've had a couple of reviews that were not, were not, were not, you know, hugely laudatory. They still give me three stars. Like, you know, okay. So even um, even
1: with your antagonists, um, mm-hmm. the do do you personally enjoy the evil part? <laughs> Do you lack remorse? (laughs) Sure.
4: They get what's coming to them in the end, so it's not.
1: Oh, there you go. Uh,
4: Yeah, but but I kind of like how how much can I push them? So usually usually in the um, in the GSU series, you know who the bad guys are. In the mystery, you don't, so you have to figure that out. Oh, but um, but because you know who the bad guys are. For me, the whole thing is: so where's the person going to go with this? What are they going to do next? Um, you know, what what kind of havoc are they going to wreak at, at a certain point? So, in in the first book, um, the antagonist, who's somebody who's hated this my my heroine since high since they were eight years old, and still hates her, uh, has has been has been spreading uh, disinformation about her. So she accuses it. Accuses her of plagiarism and all kinds of things like that because she's a, a very successful historical novelist. And, you know, that's not really getting her anywhere, and she needs to do something more. So she actually vandalizes her, her condo, condo building. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I am kind of destructive. Crest um, uh, like me, collects glass, um, Murano glass. And um, I in in the scene where she goes back to look at all the wreckage, I describe in detail what it looks like to see all that Murano glass in um, shards on the floor. Wow! So yeah, I, I I do kind of enjoy doing that, but I also enjoy um, terrible things happening to the villains in the end. <laughs>
1: That's right. And, or, <clears throat> and so do do
3: do you think about? Violence on the page or, or how you write acts of violence at all, or does it even cross your mind or do you hold back on it or what's your feeling?
4: Um, I don't put in a lot, but I put in some. So at the beginning of At the Crossroads, the first scene is actually, I didn't call it a prologue, but it takes place, um, 10 years before, um, well, 10 years. Yeah. Uh, it takes, it takes place much earlier than the rest of the book. And instead of focusing on the main character, it focuses on his parents. And they're watching an explosion in Istanbul. And as the news story goes on, they realize that their son was, was caught up in this explosion. And I did go into quite a bit of detail of what that was like when the IUD goes off. And uh, there's kind of a rain of all these little bits of metal that are flying all over the place and all the people who get killed. And, and all that. But then I don't have a lot of other violence in the book. Um, not in graphic detail, just like I don't write sex in graphic detail. So um, I, I like to leave quite a bit to the reader's imagination because I'd like to think that readers have an imagination.
3: You haven't had my readers. No.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so what do you think each book has done for you personally?
4: Um, I think the first one gave me the confidence to go on. Um I was very excited. I think I think I was lucky with the first book because um I'm sure that a lot of the large number of pre orders, because I got seventy four pre orders for that book, was because my friends were all trying to be supportive, all my all the people that I that I've known over the years. I haven't had anything like that since. But um and then I did my very first book signing on the day the book came out, <laughs> which was also my seventieth birthday. Uh-huh. Um that gave me a lot of that gave me a lot of confidence, but it also showed me that I could do it and and that that made a big difference. The second book was unexpected because i i wanted it to be actually the second book should have been about about mickey and and um and j l and not about max and Cress but I realized that I had another whole part of their story to tell and um and so i I wrote that. And that, So it was surprising in that way. It was also um, a little bit harder to write in some ways and a little bit easier to write in other ways because I had finally learned some tricks about <laughs> about, um, about constructing a book. Um, and then I wrote Dead in the Alley because, and this this has never happened to me before, and it doesn't seem to be happening to me since. I woke up one morning with the story there, the characters, the setting, the plot, everything. And I spent a weekend just doing nothing, but, and I was in the middle of it at the crossroads, just writing everything down and, and creating kind of a, kind of a um, work Bible for it. So that I, when I went back to it, um, I could, I could do it. And it, it came together much more easily than, than the others. And then I had to do at the ready. And again, um, it was much more difficult. Yeah, um, yeah. Every book is more difficult than the last. And right now I'm writing a cozy mystery and, it's a difficult, in yet another way. Yeah.
1: So the your friends uh, usually I've heard friends of authors they can tell they're they're an author because they have a book in their hand and they say oh that's an idea and they start writing things down even when they're eating dinner with them wherever they're at they're putting they're they're researching I guess are you one of those <laughs> friends. <laughs>
4: Uh, no, I don't write anything down while I'm having dinner with friends. <laughs> um, I'm I'm one of those weird people that certain things just stick for certain kinds of trivia. I'm really, really, really good. Sometimes I think it's just the history background tends to to make you remember all kinds of stupid details about stuff. Um, and I, I so I I get a lot of stuff that way. I'm not one of those people who goes and sits in coffee shops and eavesdrops on other people and writes down their conversations. I don't do that. Either. <laughs> Um I, and and I don't know why. I, I, I keep thinking that might give me some other ideas or ideas for dialogue or something like that, but somehow my writing just doesn't work out that that way. I uh once I once I figure out who my characters are and what my setting is, then um then I start working out the plot. And I've I've tried different things. So with my first book <laughs> my my efforts at plot were not great. I took a plotting class, I wrote down eighty scenes, um I realized later that uh, most of those 80 scenes were kind of boring. And then as I went along, I had to to go, well, what can I do to make this more interesting? Now And then I went through a period where I would create these worksheets. And now what I do is once I've got the idea for the story, I write a synopsis of about 3,000 words. And then I start writing the story. And then, as I go along, I stop looking at the synopsis, and then, at some point, uh when I start to think, "Oh, what am I supposed to be doing now?" I go back to it, and I go, "Oh well, I kind of veered off here a little bit. <laughs> and then I have to figure out how to go back on track. But with the book I'm writing now, I had it all worked out. I always like to know who the who the murderer is right up front and um and I had that, and i had a I had what I thought was a good motive and all those kinds of things and I had Good reasons for everybody else to have wanted to kill this woman. And then I realized that that was the wrong story and that it would have to be a different person and the motive would have to be different. And I hadn't actually created that person. So, uh, and I was already, um, about 10 chapters into the book at that point. So ah, I've, been, I've been doing well. some tinkering, but I'm, I'm writing chapter 19 now. So that's not bad. And, yeah. uh, it's, it's kind of a fun book. When I tell people about it, they're always like, and you'll know something about the people I know when I when I explain. It's called um, Murder at the Great Jane Austen Cookoff, Ooh. and it's it's essentially kind of a, a mo- it's it's a modern book. It takes place now in a small Hampshire village, and it's essentially Jane Austen meets Agatha Christie. <laughs> and every time I tell people about it, or the people that I know, they're like, "So is it done? Can I read it now?" <laughs> 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 like, no, <laughs> I'm still writing. But it, but it is fun, and I'm 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 both a fan of Agatha Christie and Jane Austen, so that works out pretty well.
1: So it's romantic suspense, but there's mystery in there.
4: Then no, no, it's a cozy mystery. It's not romantic suspense. Yeah. Okay,
3: yeah, the two aren't getting together. Gotcha.
4: Yeah. No. Actually, in Dead in the Alley, it kind of worked out that they did more than I expected them to. And I thought I was writing a cozy mystery for that one. And I've had people say, it's a cozy mystery. It's a traditional. It's, it's police procedural. It's, it's romantic suspense. And I'm like, fine. I don't care. <laughs> Just yeah, right. buy it.
3: Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter what you call it. Now, you, you mm-hmm. must, because um, you, of your history background, I guess, now Chicago being the setting, do you write that, the location, like it's a character?
4: Oh yes, oh yes. Um, some people have told me that that if they come to visit, they're planning to um, write down all the things I told them to, to see and all the restaurants I told them to eat at <laughs> before they come. Um, the the GSU's headquarters are in the Rookery Building, which is a, a historic building built in 1889 in Chicago, and um, I I have history of that in the in the books. Um, I I like to talk. I I don't talk about the history of Chicago in the sense of, you know, oh, we're going to this place and Al Capone was there and stuff like that. I don't do that. Um, My characters like to eat out, and I have lots of restaurants for them to eat in. And I turns out I like to describe food. So the people who really like food porn – my books are great. People who could care less <laughs> just skip over the food. My early reader is not is not very interested in food. She's like too much food again. <laughs> but I had I had one of my my early, my one of my um, my readers for my first book um, sent me a note. She had never written a review, and I asked her to actually write what she wrote into the into a review. Um, but she said. Um, I, I, I could hardly put the book down and then I went to bed and I was so hungry I got up and raided the pantry.
3: <laughs>
4: I thought, okay, I guess I'm good at that part.
3: <laughs> so you're making people eat.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's kinda of sad. The the beginning of the of the first book play, takes place at Everest Restaurant in Chicago and um it closed uh, in December twenty twenty. But the book takes place in two thousand fourteen, so that's that's not a problem, but you can't go there anymore. They were at the, they were on the 40th floor of, of first financial Plaza and they closed during the pandemic, not because of the pandemic, but because they couldn't come to an agreement for a new lease with the landlord oh. and I've never eaten there. Um, I'm also really good at researching places I've never been like Vancouver, like some of the restaurants I wrote about, um, some of the restaurants in other places. Cause my second book goes from Chicago to London, to the highlands of Scotland to Paris. Um, and that caused me a big problem because it was supposed to end in Istanbul and one thing about Istanbul is that it's got alleys very much like Chicago alleys paris does not and um and the guy the, the terrorist who's after max wants to recreate the uh the bombing the earlier bombing and kill him that way and so um it's it's it, the ending is set in the out that alley again but I couldn't do that when my editor said to me, it has to end in Paris. I'm like, why? She said, first of all, your book's too long. And secondly, it just goes on and on. And you don't need it to be in Istanbul. You just need to wind it up. So then I had to find a place that I could do it when there are no alleys in Paris. I mean, the things that are called alleys in Paris have little shops all over the place. They're not alleys. And I didn't think I could blow one of those up. Oh, so why not? I, yeah, <laughs> so I found, it, I, found, I found this town um, about 12 miles out from Paris near Charles de Gaulle Airport. And the old town, the original town, um, had a, had this terrible thing happen to it in the 1960s where this plane crashed into the town. And so the, that part of the town is deserted, and it was supposed to be rebuilt, but it never was and all this kind of thing. And then another town grew up around it. Now it's kind of a tourist attraction because it's on the train and there's a stop there. Um, and so I used that. So it's not an alley, but it's really creepy. Oh.
3: Well, you get to fly around to all these places and and do the research. I wish. Oh no, why not? I wish.
4: Okay, so I'm I'm from Chicago. I've been to London many times. I've been to the Highlands of Scotland. I've been to Paris, and I did all my research on Vancouver online. Although I write with a bunch of people who are from Vancouver, so um, I think that that if they if I had done something that was absolutely wrong, somebody would have told me. <laughs> um, so that was that was a little difficult, and then I I had I took some advice on where to have, um, J.L.'s mother live, and then I didn't take that advice. <laughs> I put her in Kitsilano instead because that worked better for my plot.
3: Well, yeah, <laughs> it's a nice area. Um, where do you think you're going to go with all this now?
4: Um, well, I've got enough writing projects in mind, maybe to finish off. <laughs> it, it'll take me a while. Um, but I'm hoping for... So I've, I've also been doing some other publishing. So I was asked last year to write a short story for a, a volume called Tales from the Golden Age of Mind. And it's uh, all the characters have to be older. I mean, older, older. My characters are 70 in that one. Uh, and that came out in April. And then a friend of mine um, who's who writes a lot of of romance, just straight romance. Well, I shouldn't say straight. It's LGBTQ romance, but it's romance. (laughs) And she had, um, signed a contract to be in an anthology, um, called, uh, Austin Tea Party. And all the, all the stories had to have Jane Austen characters in them. The Jane Austen character did not have to be the major character, but they had to at least be there. At least one of them had to be there, be mentioned. And she had signed up for that. And and I said, oh, I could do that. So she gave me all the information, and I went ahead and signed up. And then I said to her, well, why are you doing this? You don't know anything about the Regency. (laughs) Um, and I ended up having to read her story and research on her story and give her suggestions on her story. <laughs> and then she said, I will never write another Regency again, ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that came out in August. That one's called um, Colonel Fitzwilliam uh, Meets His Match. The first one's called Aegean Persuasion and also has a, a Jane Austen theme, even though it's not a Jane Austen theme. Um It's kind of a modern take on on persuasion. I have one coming out in in November in a thing called um, Mistletoe and Markets. It's all about um, couples that meet at Christmas markets. Um, And that's Max's older brother, who's in his 50s. Uh, And then I have one coming out in January. It's a second-chance romance short story called um, Melting the Iceman, which is all about a retired hockey player. Um, who now owns a tour company that takes uh, take, does um, well, Antarctic cruises? And I wrote that um, in February on my Antarctic cruise, <laughs> which was fun.
1: Did he play um, for the Blackhawks?
4: Uh, he, he played for the Chicago Seabirds. I ah. created my own. <laughs> um, it, it's wise in hockey romance not to not to use the names of the actual actual teams. <laughs> They're here. Um, yeah, so, um, so anyway, that's, that's, so I've done all that. I've got three more, um, projects for, um, the new Romance Cafe, which is that group. Uh, I'm hoping to get, um, the first draft of the Jane Austen, uh, cook-off done, uh, by the end of October so that I can start a two-month project to write the second book in the Murder in the North Country series, which would be called Murder in the Studio. And I have that one planned out. Um, that'll have continuing characters. So it's going to be, so the, the characters in the first novel are, are Bay and Greg, and they're going to continue to be the, the characters. I also have a short story coming out called Leaving Cleveland, which is kind of a prequel to, to Dead in the Alley, but it focuses on the other policeman that was in the, in the book. And I have one that I'm just revising now for, um, for another anthology. I belong to the Blackbird Writers Group and, and, um, They've had a couple of people who've left and they have an anthology out and they want to republish the anthology since it's an ebook, um, with stories from those of us who are newer. And I'm, I'm, uh, revising a story right now called Chasing Donatello, which takes place in Florence and has, uh, has, has people trying to find, um, what they think is a cache of papers that, that, um, that Donatello would have produced, um, drawings and, and, you know, contracts and letters and things like that uh, there's no evidence that there's any material of, that, that nobody's ever found anything like that, so I thought that made kind of a good plot to work on mm. so, so I've got lots of stuff but but in my but if i if I do all the stuff I want to do, I'm gonna end up with four series at least so yeah, I've got a very very ambitious schedule, and that's why I said I could be going into 2039, by the time I get everything written. Well, you
3: go. You get that done. Um, yeah. So now listen, um, are you set up with a website? Do you have social media? How do you like readers to c- connect with you? Or w- what? where do they find you?
4: Okay, so I have a website. It's coffeeandeclairs.com. And I created my own <laughs> unofficial publishing company to publish my books called Coffee and Eclairs Books. But coffeeandeclairs.com is good. I'm on Facebook um, as Sharon Michaelov, Uh and I have a chat group in there which nobody chats in called Coffee and, Eclair, co- um, Coffee and Eclairs and Conversation. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm still on X, formerly Twitter. Um, and I'm on threads but I don't use that very often. Um, uh, I can also be found on BookBub and that kind of exciting stuff. Great. And for people who are looking for the paperbacks that don't want to buy them from Amazon, um, bookshop.org has them. Or you can go to your local bookstore and order them because I, I did put them out during Room Spark.
3: Wow. There you have it. Now we're going to have all that good stuff up so people can find you easily, you know? Okay. And it's all set. Now, that would be- now, we appreciate you being here. Great conversation. Nice to talk to writers. Uh, your newest book, At the Ready. Global Security Unlimited 3. Ms. Sharon Michaelov. Thank you for being here.
4: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it.
3: So
1: did I. It was great.
0: You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts or shows,
1: go to www.houseofmystery.com The show
2: is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me?